All right, that was extremely half-hearted, but I'll take it. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Glad to have you with us, guys. My name is Brad, as everyone is coming in and settling in. I'm the pastor here at Southview. So good to have you with us today, worshiping. Uh, if you're a guest with us, thank you for being with us today. We'd love to connect with you. Best, easiest way you can do that is to simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to uh, our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT. We'll send you a link, tap on that, answer a couple of questions, and send it back in. I know some of you, you've been attending for a while and haven't done that yet. I encourage you to do so, just so we can know who you are, connect with you, and be able to help minister to you in the best way possible. But for all of us here today have uh, three big announcements for us. They're big three that we've been doing the last several weeks, so by now you should know what we have going on. First, Vacation Bible School. VBS this year is going to be June 7th through the 11th. We need you to register your child. You simply text the letters VBS to our number, 910-424-1298. Text VBS. Follow the prompts. Sign your child up for Vacation Bible School. Second, Range Day. This coming Saturday, our military ministry is hosting a Range Day. Uh, you have a little bit of time still today if you'd like to sign up for that. A chance for you to come out, go to the range, um, uh, shoot, blow some stuff up. Uh, we'll give you free lunch. Um, we'll do a great Bible study on just spiritual warfare, what it means to engage with the Lord in difficult times. It's going to be a really, really, really great day. So I encourage you to sign up for that. Just text RANGE. R-A-N-G-E, range, to our number, 910-424-1298. Also, I'll segue with that for today, this weekend, Happy Armed Forces Day. Uh, give a big round of applause. <laughs> so, uh, so how this works, right? So Armed Forces Day is for those who are currently serving. Veterans Day is for those who previously served. Memorial Day is for those who died while serving. So this weekend is Armed Forces Day. For those who are currently um, uh, serving, we're thankful for you. We praise God for you, obviously, being here in our area. It's a big uh, part of our community. So thank you. Um, we uh, really seek as a church to organize ourselves uh, in such a way to minister to you and your family the best way possible. And so uh, the range day coming up, just one of those. Just a chance for us to say thank you. You come out free of charge, bring the family, have a good day, here's some lunch, uh, enjoy a day at the range. Just our way of saying thank you and encouraging you in the Lord. So sign up for that, be a part of that, and once again, thank you so much for all that you do. And, and then with that as well, uh, again, our third for today, baptism. Uh, for everyone, um, we are seeking to see you come to faith in Jesus and grow in that relationship. And so if you have come to faith in Christ and you're ready to make that public uh, through baptism, sign up. It's going to be next Sunday is the baptism, uh, but there's still time today. If you'd like to sign up and let us know that you're interested in that, just text the word baptism to 910-424-1298. And then any other announcements? Uh, going on, anything else happening here at our church, you can download our app. Do that at Google Play or iTunes through the app. You can give online. Uh, my wife this week, um, she, um, she, she is uh, secretly 112 years old, right? She, she does not like technology. She is not a fan of it at all. But this week, I introduced her to giving online through the app. Life change right there, okay? So give online through the app. That will help you with that. And then also, 
finding a journey group, any other announcements, things like that, just download the app so you'll know what's going on. But for us here today, I want to read a scripture to us as we begin worshiping together. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, my wife all this week has been trying to teach our seven-year-old this verse as a memory verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. She keeps getting it mixed up. She keeps throwing all the other senses in there. Right? Taste and hear. No. Taste and smell. No. It's not it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the idea behind it is this. As you taste God, as you experience God, you see how glorious and amazing He is and you want Him. As you see how great and amazing and, and forgiving and loving and kind and glorious He is, you start to get a little taste of that and you're just drawn to Him even more. So our prayer for you today is that exact same thing happens for you. You taste and see that God is good. And as you see that he is good, you're going to run to him and take refuge in him. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me this morning. I want to pray for us as we, as we jump into worship together. I want to pray that every one of us here today tastes and experiences God a little bit more, a little bit deeper, a little bit sweeter. And that you're drawn to just a little bit of a deeper walk with him because you see just how glorious and amazing and beautiful he is. For some of you here today, you've got a sour taste in your mouth. Maybe someone who calls themselves a Christian is really unloving and unkind to you. So it just causes a sour taste in your mouth when you come to the things of God. Maybe you had a bad experience with church and it's just kind of put a sour taste in your mouth. Or maybe you believe something falsely about God. You, you, you think of God differently than who He really is. And so, so you're thinking that's who He is. Let's put a sour taste in your mouth about Him. I want to encourage you this morning. See who God really is. And when you see who He really is and taste Him, you want Him. So God, I pray for us here this morning. God, that we would, every one of us in this room, taste and see that you are good. And as we taste and see that you are good, we're drawn to you. We want you. We desire you. We long for you. Give us a little taste today, Lord. Create in us a craving for you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together. together there's a reason I can see
Salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. And God, I pray that today as we gather, we would see and taste that you are good. I pray for the believers here today that we would be encouraged and strengthened. I pray for those who are seeking the truth that that you would call them today right here. That they would join in as we sing of your love and your mercy and your grace of your holiness and your righteousness that our lives will reflect Christ and no other God may we taste and see that you are good today because you have rescued us you have saved us
hey, if you are one of our graduates, whether you are on the video or not, high school, college, grad school, whatever, can you just stand for us real quick right where you are? Just stand on up. There you go. Stand. Give them a hand. All right. Hey, keep standing. Don't sit down yet. We want to pray for you, okay? We want to lift up uh, you guys uh, and praise God for you and pray for you as you go off to the next chapters, whatever that is for your life. So can we just pray over these guys? And so if you're around them also, can you just kind of reach out and put your hands on them? Just kind of get around. If you're a parent, you're used to putting your hands on them. So just do that one more time. Let's just get around them. Put your hands on them, and let's, uh, let's just lift these uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, folk up in prayer. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for them. We thank you, God, that you have done such wonderful and great things in them. Jesus, your word says that you grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and man. And, God, that's exactly what we see symbolized right here, uh, growing just physically, um, God, just becoming uh, mature adults, but Lord, God, hopefully by your grace, growing in wisdom and growing in favor with you. I pray, God, for them, Lord, as they go off to the next chapter of life, whatever that might be, whatever that might look like, we pray, God, just your blessings on them. We ask you, Lord God, that you would bless them and that you would keep them. We ask you, God, that you would make your face to shine upon them. We ask you, God, that you would be gracious to them. We pray, God, that you would lift up your countenance upon them and that you would give them your peace. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you, God, for what you've done in them so far. And I pray, God, as they go through the next parts of this life that you have for them, God, that they would just experience your goodness. And that w- they would go off, God, uh, not just looking to um, fulfill the plans that they have, but, God, more importantly, they would seek your will. They would follow your ways, they would walk in your path, and they would seek to live lives that bring much glory and honor to you. We pray, Jesus, that you would do this in your name. Amen. Hey, give them one more hand. You may have a seat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Hey, if you got a Bible, let's find the book of Acts together, all right? We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. Acts 9. So we are today looking at the story of a man named Saul, who will eventually one day become who we know as the Apostle Paul. Uh, And what we see today is really one of the most amazing stories, not just in the Bible, but in all of history. What we're going to see today is a man that in an instant went from being a persecutor of Christians to a Christian being persecuted, right? In an instant, he went from a man killing church leaders to becoming a church leader who will eventually one day be killed for his faith. We see this amazing shift. And as we see the story of this guy named Saul, the point, like we have done, we said in all of Acts, isn't just seeing what happened to them, but also what it means for us. And so as we see the story of Saul, God choosing him, forgiving him, redeeming him, using him. As we see that happening with Saul, we're also going to be asking, okay, Lord, what about me? And as we see 
God doing this great work in Saul, we're also seeing today by God's grace how he does the exact same thing in us. All right? So as we go through this, we're going to see the story of Saul coming to faith in Christ. But then in addition to that, we're going to hopefully by God's grace see a handful of things that empower us. And, and the big idea for today is Jesus' goal for your life is not that just you would live a good life and obey some rules, right? That you would be a good person, right? That you would, you know, live a moral life, obey the Ten Commandments. That's, that's not the point. Jesus did not come and die that that's the life that you would live. Jesus came and died so that you would be radically, significantly flipped upside down, changed by him, set on fire fire for him and then shot off like a cannon into the rest of the world seeking to see other people set on fire for him as well like that's the life he has for you it's exactly what he did with Saul and that is exactly what he desires to do for each and every one of us so as we dive in to the story of Saul we're asking him to show us how he does the same thing in us so let's pick it up Acts chapter 9 and we'll start in verse 1 okay but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the last time we saw Saul, it was in Acts 7, in the beginning of 8, with Stephen being killed, and Saul overseeing that, right? So he oversaw the murder execution of Stephen solely for the reason that Stephen was a Christian. And when this happened, Saul, apparently, it was like blood in the water. He loved it, and so he chased after that. And it says here in verse 1, he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So think about the way that's describing that. Saul is living such a violent life towards Christians, it's just like breathing. Right? Like you woke up this morning and brushed your teeth and didn't think much about it. Saul wakes up in the morning looking for a Christian to persecute, imprison, and perhaps kill. And it's just life. Like this is so who he is. He is a first century terrorist. He wakes up in the morning, and the first thought he has on his mind is, how can I destroy Christians? Right? This is Saul. And he has gotten letters, permission from the high priest to go, it says, up to Damascus to look for more Christians. Right? So Damascus is 150 miles away from where he lives. So he is so adamant about harming Christians, he's willing to walk 150 miles on foot to track them down, hunt them down, persecute them, imprison them, and perhaps kill them, okay? Bad guy. The whole point is this, all right? Starting Acts chapter 9, what you have to understand is this. Saul is a wicked, vile, disgusting piece of human garbage. That's the point. There is zero redeeming about him. He is a piece of human debris. That is Saul. He is vile, he is angry, he is violent, and if he was Acts chapter 9, if you were a Christian in Acts chapter 9, his goal would be to kill you and everyone you love. This is Saul. All right, are we getting this picture? 
All right, pick it up in verse 3. Here's what happens. He was on his way to find, imprison, torture, persecute, kill, if possible, Christians. Verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. But Saul rose from the ground Although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So as we go through the story of Saul, again, what we're wanting to see is some big ideas. Again, Jesus desires today, right now for you. Again, let's don't be um, um, theoretical about this. Let's don't, again, we're not just studying the book of Acts to learn history. Here's the point. Jesus Christ today, today, desires to see you radically set on fire for passion in Him and living for His glory and then being shot off into this world seeking to see other people radically changed by Jesus and set on fire for passion in Him and His glory. That's the point. Anything short of that is short of what Jesus desires for you. All right? Setting the bar high. But on purpose, because that's what Jesus does. All right? That's the idea. So as we go through this, what we want to see is what are some, some big ideas, some big rocks that can help us in understanding that and walking in that. All right? First big idea is this. Jesus loves his church. Uh, you get that in verses 4 and 5. So Jesus shows up, knocks Saul down. Verse 4, and falling to the ground, he, Saul, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus so loves his church that he considers an attack on his church as an attack on him. Jesus is so intimately engaged and involved with his church that coming against his church persecuting his church attacking his church is the same as coming against attacking persecuting him here's why this is a big deal for us okay i want you to follow with this here's why this is significant the real power of christianity is found in the body yes you must personally accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Yes. And when you do that, you personally are filled up by the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, that is true. And also what's true is this. When that happens to you, you now are then placed in a body and are expected by God to love and live out the Christian life within that body. The notion... That you can be a Christian who loves, honors, adores, worships Jesus 
and at the same time have little to no interaction with the body, that is a form of Christianity God knows nothing about. And if your definition of Christianity and God's definition of Christianity aren't the same thing, I'll let you guess who's wrong. And it's interesting. So we were driving to church just this morning. And um, my nine-year-old had, and he was talking about friends from school and uh, asking us to pray for, you know, who we want to pray for. And so he's, you know, where he mentioned a friend from school. And so he's talking to us, so he's nine, and he's talking to his friend at school about Jesus. And, um, and the friend says to Haddon, my nine-year-old, I don't have to go to church. I already love God. And immediately in my mind, I thought, that's a dangerous, mature excuse for a nine-year-old to say, right? If you're nine and you're already going this, I can worship God anywhere, not a good sign. But this idea that you can not be engaged with the body and simultaneously live a life of passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ, it's just not true. And what we do often is we will go to the Bible and take verses that are about the body and try to make them about us, right? Because we are, we are desperately American, right? And so one of the things about American Christianity that we have to push against is this, this rugged individualism. Pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I am captain of my own destiny, not according to God. He saved you and put you in to a body. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard this verse. Ephesians 3, 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. We love that verse. We pray that verse over ourselves. We say yes and amen God is going to do great and amazing things beyond what I could even ask, think, or imagine in me. Just keep reading the verse. A lot of bad ideas can be solved by you just keep reading. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Verse 21. To him will be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen the whole point of Ephesians 3 20 and 21 is God is doing great and amazing things in his church so if you're not in the church you're going to miss it yes God wants to do these things in you personally but the avenue by which God has created for you to experience those things personally is the body you can't experience them apart from the body. I'll give you another one. Matthew 5, 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so we take those and personalize those. Yes, I am salty. I am light. Kind of. But something's happening in the Greek that you can't pick up in the English. So in the Greek... They have clearly designated words for singular and plural. In English, we don't necessarily have that, right? You can mean singular or you can mean plural, which is why God gave you Southerners. Right? On the eighth day, God created the South. 
because we help you with these things, right? We know this. We know Southern grammar. You is one. Y'all is two. All y'all is three or more, right? It makes it so much simpler. You mock us, but we make life easy for you. And we gave you banana pudding. Like, why? Why would you not love us? So in Matthew 5, 13 and 14, Jesus is saying, all y'all together are the salt of the earth. All y'all together are the light of the world. What he's telling is this. There is something in the body that is supernatural in this world. Again, here's why this matters. Listen to me. In 20 years of being a pastor and in 35 years of being a Christian, I have never in my life met someone who was hostile to the church and at the same time radically changed and loved Jesus Christ. Never met that person. I've never met a person who was lackadaisical about church and was radically set on fire for Jesus Christ. Like, I've never met that person. The reason is, Jesus only consumes people who love what he loves. And Jesus loves his church. And if you don't love his church, he's not going to fill you up with all the fullness that is him. He can't. Because there's something blocking that. The whole point of this is Jesus loves his church. To attack Jesus, to attack the church, is to attack Jesus. You want to experience a life manifestly different, radically changed, set on fire for Jesus, in love with Jesus, passionately pursuing all that Jesus has for you, that must be done within the context of loving, submitting to, and being part of the body of Jesus. You can't do them separate. So for you, my encouragement, don't date the church, don't play around the church, don't abuse the church and talk bad about her. Love the church like a bride. You love her, you nurture her, you care for her. You love the church. Second thing I want to see as we look into this, another truth that really drives a life on fire for Christ is understanding that Jesus pursues you, you don't pursue him. We, we see this happening with Saul. Verse 3 now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So what is Saul on the way to do? Imprison Christians, right? Saul has no interest in Jesus, but Jesus is interested in Saul. And when Saul had no desire to pursue Christ, Christ was pursuing him. And it's interesting, as you look at that in verse 4, when he calls him twice, Saul, Saul. So in the Greek, when he, when he says two names like that, back to back, it, it's this calling of intimacy. Right? He's calling like he's calling to a friend that he loves. This man who hates Jesus and seeks to kill the followers of Jesus, Jesus is coming to him like a friend. Saul, Saul, 
What are you doing? What are you doing, Saul? Why are you persecuting me? And the same for you here today. Listen to me. I don't know why you're here today. Maybe you came because you're for a graduation slide, right? Or you're whatever the reason. Could it be possibly the real reason you're here today is because Jesus is calling your name? He's calling you. He's he's calling your name. He's saying, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing right now? Look at the road you're on. Where are you going? Why are you doing this? Today can be the day where you see Jesus calling your name. And it's a personal call. It's an intimate call. And, and, and it's so important that we see that Jesus is pursuing you first. Because that knocks out all pride and ego. Have you ever met a prideful Christian? That's a blessing, isn't it? There is nothing more obnoxious than an arrogant Christian. Even lost people know arrogant Christians are wrong. Because like, but isn't that kind of contrary to what you guys think? Like, that doesn't seem to work. Because it doesn't work. When you understand that Jesus is the one who pursued you, you didn't pursue him, it robs you of all pride, and all you're filled with is now gratitude and thanksgiving and joy in Jesus because he came after you when you were not thinking about him. This is especially true. I see this happening a lot. If you got saved later in life as an adult, you know this very well, right? You're like, man, I'm just minding my own business. I'm just doing my life, living my life, doing my thing, and next thing you know, boom, Jesus showed up. Like, I have no idea what happened yesterday. Um, can't find my pants. Today I love Jesus. Like, I don't know what happened to me. It's a Saul on the road of Damascus moment. And I love this, understanding this as well, understanding that Jesus is the one that pursues you. You don't pursue him. I, I, yes, you personally consciously placed faith in Jesus. Yes. You personally, consciously submitted your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yes. But what I, that, that is true, that is real, that is fact, that's genuine, that happened, you did that. But what I want you to understand is the reason you did that is because Jesus was pursuing you first. He was already coming after you. And when we see this, it's also, so we have to understand that, that Jesus comes after us because if we miss that point, then we're going to spend all of our energy and effort trying to force ourselves to him. That's called legalism. And it crushes and kills your soul. Have you tried to live a life attempting to do the right things to please God? That is soul sucking. That is crushing. Uh, the analogy that I've used with you before is if I had like a, a metal bar up here and I was trying to bend it. So imagine that I had enough strength and I could bend it where I get some flex. And I'm, all of my strength and all of my energy, I'm bending it and I'm able to get it to flex just a little bit. But eventually my strength's going to run out and I got to let it go and boom, it goes right back. For some of you, that's how legalism is working. You're trying so hard, and if you try hard enough, and try hard enough, and try hard enough, you get it to bend a little, but eventually, boom, it pops right back. That's why some of you, you act one way in this room and totally different when you leave. That's why for some of us, when you're around your Christian friends, you act one way, 
when you're around your non-Christian friends, you act a totally different way. The reason for that is you think your effort, your energy, your actions somehow trick God into thinking that you really are for him. Right? So when I walk in this room and I act a certain way and I talk a certain way and do a certain thing, then, then God's like going to think differently? It's not understanding. Look, it's, it's not about that. When you finally drop that, quit trying to do it in your own strength and realize that Jesus is the one that pursues you, it changes everything. Saul did not care anything about Jesus. Jesus just came for him. And when he did, he totally changed him. Today, Jesus is coming for you. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to pretend that you're better than you are. Stop trying to act a certain way around your Christian friends. Stop trying to do that. To admit today that that's not really who you are. The truth is, you're walking a 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction of God. You're on the road heading to your Damascus to do your own thing. And today, Jesus comes and knocks you off your horse and says, Nope, I came for you. Let today be today that Jesus comes for you. The next thing that we see it's that, that really empowers us to live this life on fire for Christ and see the others experience that as well is Jesus answers our prayers for the lost. It's a wonderful little nugget that I can think kind of can get a little lost in this story. So remember, if we back up the story of Saul, the last time we see him is Acts chapter 7, overseeing the murder of Stephen. Now, as Stephen is about to die, do you remember the last thing Stephen does? He prays that God would forgive those who were killing him. And one of those men that Stephen prayed for, Saul. What you see in the salvation of, of, of Saul is, I believe, the fruit of Stephen's prayer. And I love what Stephen prayed, right? Stephen didn't pray for lost people the way you and I pray for lost people, right? But when we pray for lost people, you know, can you imagine Stephen, if we were in Stephen's spot and we're getting stoned to death, and you look over, you see the smug little jerk Saul smiling, going, <laughs> how easy would it be in our prayers to be like, Lord Jesus, crush his bones to powder, right? You go straight Psalms, break his teeth. Let him experience, God, all that he's allowed me to experience. Make his bed full of nails. Give him no rest. Let him experience anything. Do whatever you have to do to break him. It's not how Stephen prays for Saul at all. Stephen says, Jesus, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Jesus, show him your grace. He just doesn't know. And it's interesting so as Saul comes to faith in Christ, I think in large part due to a gracious prayer of Stephen, later on in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is going to remind us it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So for you, question, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for that they would come to absolute, flipped upside down, radically changed faith in Jesus Christ? Who are you praying for? Let's be bold in our prayers. And I know we can get discouraged. Well, this person is a lost cause, no more than Saul. You don't understand. 
this person hates Jesus, hates Christians, think this whole thing is stupid, you mean like Saul? As we see Saul coming to faith in Jesus, one of the things that it's intended to do is to encourage us with faith that if this guy, again, remember back what we saw at the beginning, this is a horrible, horrible, horrible man. Disavow yourself. Because again, so, we, so jumping back to the previous point, kind of bringing it all together. What we can sometimes do is forget how sinful we were and put people in categories. That person's really lost. Right? That You don't understand. Like there's lost and then there's that guy. He's really lost. Like God's going to have to really do a miracle on him. And, and, and I know what we're saying, but what we're under the surface saying is this. Saving you wasn't that much of a miracle. I mean, that guy's really bad. I mean, for me, I was basically good, and Jesus had to kind of fill the cup up a little bit. But for that guy, Ephesians 2 says, apart from Christ, we're all dead. And there aren't varying levels of dead. This isn't the princess bride, okay? Well, I was just mostly dead. We're dead, all of us. And the only way you're going to experience life is if God does a miracle in you. And it's interesting also as you go through that text, in verse 8 it describes Saul when he gets up from the ground, he's blind. And commentators will tell you that there's a few reasons for that. One, it's symbolically speaking of Israel and their blindness to the Messiah. It's speaking of Saul himself and the blindness that he was in. But also, it's symbolic of your blindness apart from Christ. The fact that apart from Jesus, you're blind. And you need Jesus to miraculously give you supernatural spiritual sight. And so when we pray for people who are lost, I want to encourage you. I think this blindness analogy is helpful in us in that uh, you don't yell at a blind person to see, right? Right? If a blind guy is walking by, you're like, well, I'll just see already. Like, oh, I was just waiting for someone to yell at me. I, I can see now. Right? You don't argue someone into sight. You don't explain how the eyeball works and how sight works. And once the person understands, you know, physiologically how sight works, it all just clicks. They go, oh, I can see now. I just didn't understand how. Now I can see. Right? The only, ways, the only way a blind person sees is if something miraculous takes them from blindness to sight. Right? That's it. And so for us, as we... As we are praying for and interacting with the spiritually blind people in our lives, love them. They're blind. Blind people trip over stuff. Blind people don't see things. <laughs> Let's get as basic as possible. Right? So don't be mad at them. They're blind. They should know better. They're blind. They can't see. Don't make it more difficult. Uh, Numbers chapter 9, God says to the people of Israel, don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind person and don't curse a, de a deaf person. What he means by that is this. If someone has a struggle, don't make it harder on them. Love them. The blind people in our lives, spiritually speaking, they need us to love them and pray for them. Who are you praying for? And we don't pray for them because we have confidence in that person getting better, 
we pray for them because we have confidence in God and what God can do, right? So we don't pray for them because we have such great hope that they're going to, We pray for them because we trust the miracle-working, saving power of God. So then the story picks back up in verse 10. So let's just kind of work through this real quick. Verse 10, we're introduced to another man named Ananias. Now, verse 10, as now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So think about this for a second. We've got Ananias. God comes to Ananias. Here's the equivalent, all right? So again, who is Saul? Horrible, wicked, vile, murderous, disgusting man. It would be the equivalent of, say, a decade or so ago, you're having your quiet time in the morning, and God speaks to you. And God says, I have a mission for you. I want you to get up. I want you to go across town. I want you to take a right. I want you to take a left. I want you to go to this straight, this, this street, this house. I want you to go knock on the door. There's a man there who I've spoken to and I've revealed myself to. And I've given him a vision of showing you, coming to him, praying for him, bringing sight to him, and having him filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to go to that man. And his name is Osama bin Laden. You would say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry like, for a second there. <laughs> I thought you said Osama bin Laden. That's funny. Clearly you said something else. No, no, no. That's who I said. And so you imagine going and God saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to him. I want you to pray for him. Then I want you to bring him to your house, introduce him to your kids. I want you to show him where you live. Bring him to your church and show him where all your friends, church friends live. Invite him into your Bible study. And when you all, it's time to pray, everyone has to close their eyes and not stare at him. Right? Because there have been times I've been, I'm not going to lie, there have been times I'm praying for people and I keep my eyes open. I'm not going to lie. Trusting God, not trusting you. <laughs> Pastoral confession, that's true, that's happened. This is who Ananias this is, is called to. And look what he does, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument. That's so cool, God calls him this chosen instrument. And that's going to be a major theme for Paul and the rest of his writings, talking about the fact that we are chosen by God, right? So he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, 
he was with the disciples at Damascus. So again, we're talking about Jesus meeting someone, changing someone, forgiving someone, radically setting that person on fire for him, and then shooting him off into the world to see others experience that as well. That's exactly what we're going to see happen with Saul. So pick it up real quick again at verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And, he, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. And I love this. This is the plan, verse 25. It sounds like my kids came up with this plan. Verse 25. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through the opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Like, I got a plan, all right? Just tie some rope together and lower him down in a basket. What could go wrong? Verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem... He attempted to join the disciples, and they all were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So again, in Jerusalem, Saul led the murder of Stephen. In Jerusalem, Saul was persecuting and imprisoning Christians. Saul, uh, Stephen's family was in this church, and Saul walked in the back door. You think they had some questions. But, I love this, verse 27, Barnabas, man, Barnabas is the guy, the son of encouragement. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, for they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then verse 31 brings it all together. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit had multiplied. So I'm going to ask our band to come up, and i got one last big point for you. Jesus redeems you and uses you. Think about Saul. God took the greatest persecutor in the history of Christianity and turned him into the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity. So here's my question. What is your excuse for serving God? Saul had some easy ones. Not only that, people inside the church didn't want Saul in. He had a lot of reasons to think that he could not be used by God. But God, in his grace, pushed by all of them. So what is the excuse you give? Every person in this room, I again tell you, it is the call of Jesus Christ to radically, powerfully set you aflame for his glory and send you off to see others experience the same. Now that's going to look different in each of our lives and how that plays out and what that looks like and what our skill set is and what the, the spiritual gifts God's given us. But nonetheless, he has called you to do it.
What's stopping you? Think about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus uh, said, do you remember who Jesus said was the greatest man to ever live? John the Baptist. Greatest man ever born of woman, John the Baptist. But then he keeps on going. There's a comma there, not a period. He keeps on going. And he says, greatest man ever born of woman is John the Baptist, but whoever is the least in the kingdom of God is even greater than him. Whoever's least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. So for you, let's just in this room, all right? From a purely mathematical standpoint, someone in this room is the least, okay? Right now, everyone turn around and point to the person that you think is the least. No, I'm joking. Don't do that. I'm joking. Leave me alone. But even if you're sitting in this room right now and you're saying, you don't understand my past, you don't know what I've done, you don't know where I've been, you don't know what I currently may be struggling with right now, you have no idea what last night was like for me, trust me. You may feel like Saul, walking into a church service, you just feel like everybody's looking at you. What is that guy doing? Quick, lightning bolt's going to hit us. What we see with Saul is God desires to redeem and use even you. Even you. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. First, Let's start here. Jesus is pursuing you. Have you been caught by him? I'm not asking if an hour ago you would have called yourself a Christian walking into this room. I'm not asking if you're a member of this church. I'm not asking you if you're growing up in a Christian home. I'm not asking you about your mom and your dad. I'm asking you about you. Have you met and been changed by Jesus? Are you still trying to bend that bar in your own strength and be good? Throw that thing out. Let Jesus Christ do it. So today, I call on you. Hear Jesus calling your name. Today, say, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. Forgive me, take away my sin, make me new. Some of you, maybe you are followers of Christ, but let's be honest, you need to confess and repent for not loving His church. You've been taking it for granted. Now it's time to love her. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for today that they would come to faith in Jesus? God answers the prayers of His people calling out for the salvation of those they love. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Your confidence is in God, not in that person. And for you, are you trusting God today to redeem you and use you? Throw the excuses aside. 
trusting him today to redeem you and use you. He desires that. Let him do that. Our band is going to lead us, and we're going to ask you just to stay put and pray. Spend time with the Lord this morning. Let him do business with your heart, whether it be call you to salvation, call you to repentance of something, call you to pray for someone that you know and love, or call you to serve him in a way that you've been saying no to because you've just been afraid. Spend time this morning and let the Lord speak to your heart and minister to you.
just thank you that we are who we are because we've been washed by your blood. It's not by anything that we have done, any work or merit on our part. So I pray, God, we would just, as we see you in your gracious pursuit of us, that we are just overwhelmed with love and worship and gratitude for you. Thank you, Jesus. Let us taste and see continually that you are good and pursue you as you pursue us and seek refuge in you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, as our band continues to play, you are dismissed. We love you guys. Have a wonderful week.